With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I have an announcement to make. I'd like to exchange an egg. I've made my choice and I choose me. Attention Beverly Hills 90210 fans You are now entering a song by song Episode by episode Count of the making of America's most famous zip code It's now time for the Beverly Hills 90210 show No interruptions, you got it Okay, here we are with our new intro Everything is uh, exciting And we're back with our usual suspect in uh chuck rosen how are you man how's how's your week been been a pretty good week we got the clearance uh that our, our daughter is gonna let my wife hold our grandchild daughter we, have, we we passed the uh quarantine limitation so be a happy time tomorrow when she does that that's very cool and then we have uh lily who's with us again representing all the the groups and the fans uh how's your week been how's quarantine going for you lily it's still going. <laughs> There's no end in sight. Um, and then, of course, we're joined uh, this week by the former chairman of Fox, the man that made all of this happen for us 90210 fans, uh, Sandy Grushow. How are you, my man? He'd be better uh, if he was Grushow. Well. I'm, I'm uh, quarantined uh, at 90210, as it turns out. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're up the canyon, right, Sandy? Yeah. 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 Cool. Nice. Cool. So to this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the episode Beach Blanket Brandon, but we're going to talk a lot about also, you know, Sandy's involvement in the show. I think you and, Char- and Charles are uh, both uh, Beverly High alums. Yes. Is that true, Chuck? It's true. So, Sandy, my year was 1970, coming up on that big reunion that probably won't happen because it'll be canceled for uh, Corona. But um, our year was the first year that the new building was actually a new building. And to go to school there, we would park in the Twin Towers at Century City and walk over across the street because there was no traffic on uh, Century Park East because there was no buildings except for the auto club. And that was, uh, so that was that old school. Thankfully, I'm young for Chuck. <laughs> 1978. All right. There so you, you started there the year. Uh, you start go through all. When did you move to your family? Move into Beverly Hills. Uh, 1971. Um, very much like uh, the Walshes. Um, you know, my parents and my sister who was actually going directly into Beverly Hills High School. Uh, I was actually in one of the elementary schools at Rodeo. I was going into uh, the sixth grade. So needless to say, when this show came along, it really, you know, kind of resonated for me uh, (laughs) on a number of different levels. Chuck, how did you, how did you hear that Sandy was coming on board? Well, we didn't know it was Sandy. 
And I remember it really uh, well because uh, we were filming Isn't It Romantic, the AIDS episode. We were out in uh, a bunch of theater scenes in Ventura Boulevard. And um, and Karen was going to have a baby in about two weeks. You know, Avery, Avery was coming. She was big. And uh, we were told there was going to be a management shakeup. I don't need to say who Sandy replaced, but I do know that there was actually clapping on the set that it was, we had made it. We had, uh, because the first 12, Sandy, you know, technically came in at 13 in, in the governance part of it. First 12 were really rough. We were going back and forth and Fox was learning how to be a network. And we were, uh, we were, you know, we had, we didn't have much money to play with. We were the lowest license fee in TV. We were split between, in that first year between spelling and propaganda, who did I report to? I remember asking somebody, who's my boss? They, they really had different outlooks on a lot of different things. So if you see a little wild inconsistency in those first 12 tonally, uh, it might have something to do with that. And for Sandy, how did you- I was actually, yeah. I was actually at the network um, running marketing. I had come in in, in 88 to build the first proper marketing department at the network. Uh, and I, I remember um, I was exhausted. We had moved The Simpsons from Sunday night to Thursday night. We basically were betting the entire network on going up against Cosby. And um, when we actually wound up doing that and, and were successful, um, I called you know Barry Diller and Jamie Kellner and Peter Chernin and said, I'm fried. I got to like do something else. Uh, and within a couple of days, I, I was the senior vice president of current programming and scheduling. And that's how, you know, we wound up working so closely together. But I actually launched the show from from a marketing standpoint. And, and as I was alluding to, you know, started out as a family show. That's how, you know, that's how we read it. That's what we thought it was going to be. That's how we marketed it. Uh, and and it took a half a season for us to actually figure out what it was. Um, we we were told, Sandy, if you remember, it was we did a Brandon episode, then a Brenda episode, then a Brand episode, then a Brenda back and forth. Now, Darren early on upset the apple cart because he did a Kelly episode, Perfect Mom. But it was yeah. really about but still it was about a mom. It was it was the family connection and it made for a lot of warmth. I was real comfortable with with that show. And then all of a sudden we're an international sensation. <laughs> and uh, it was different. Of course, the Gulf War, you want to talk about that a little bit? How the Gulf War uh, made it, uh, was good for all of us? Yeah, I, I think, you know, even before that, um, as, as I was mentioning, you know, I started to think back, at least try to think back 30 years um, and, and Chuck, this was your this was your baby. You you lived in this. You marinated in it. I, I was I worked on hundreds of shows, so I'm going to trust your memory more than my own. But but I do know that that this show was failing in the ratings, and uh, we had a, a big meeting. Barry Diller, Jamie Kellner, Peter Chernin, and and myself to to talk about canceling the show. It was probably around December. Uh, and uh, the discussion turned to, okay, if we pull it off the air, what are we going to put in its place? And as it turns out, because we were such a young network, we really didn't have anything to replace it with. Uh, and that's called dumb luck. 
right? We became geniuses by virtue of not having anything to replace it with because we left it on the air and gave you guys an opportunity to really find the, the essence of the show, which was, you know, really a youth ensemble drama. It wasn't a family drama. Uh, and, and at the network, we caught up to what was working and, and we started to market the heck out of it. Um, and, and so that's when, you know, things really started to happen, I think, in, um, you know, really the spring, early spring. Um, yeah, we really absolutely. started to see rating. We would, I would go to bed uh, every night. I tell, I tell my wife and say, "Hey, okay, it's it's time for me now to say my prayers." And my prayer was always the same: God bless the children of New York City, because in Long Island, because they are the ones who found us, and, and 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 Los Angeles too. But really, New York was the those first weeks because we would get it broken down, partially because. It was one of the few, you know, L.A. and New York, you had good stations. You had the old Metro Media Group. Right. Yeah. But, uh, right. You know. And uh, Lori says that uh, Lori says that was the best decision ever to keep 90210 on. So there we go. That's a fan. Already right. getting some of the fans in here. Um, so it was completely my idea to keep it <laughs> <laughs> did you did you guys ever was there ever any kind of disagreements about uh when Sandy came in I know uh, Chuck you had mentioned to me something about uh fame is where you find it that there there were some I don't know if you remember this Sandy you remember the one it was the first one you came we we had the network was tired of all the social drama so the person I would talk to mostly was not Sandy in truth it was an intermediary a really good guy uh, named Dan McDermott, who was there right from the start and who now is uh, the new president of AMC. But he uh, he and I, he would talk about really it. Really talented. Uh, yeah, uh, really, yes. And also writer, he got really multi guy. And um, he was the one that basically said, you know, you followed what we asked you to do. We had an AIDS episode. We had the rape episode. We had this episode. You got to lighten it up a little bit. And uh, and so we started. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Darren Starr wrote um, uh, the, um, the the uh, the slumber party one. Girls dancing around and the guys get their car thing. Where the high water mark? My the one episode I wish I really would have written because it was really terrific. And then we and then this one comes up, and you know, is it real? Is it not real? Should it be a dream sequence? What should we do? We we settle on it. And Sandy looks at it and says, you know, I think it should be a fantasy. No, we can't afford to do that. And, and because Aaron Spelling had a partner, Duke Vincent, E. Duke Vincent. And Duke Vincent told me anytime the, the network would ever say to me, any executive of the network, not just my friend Sandy here, would say to me, you got to you got to do something. Duke said the reflex, the reflex response has to be, okay, but who's paying for it? Because we had no money and they had no money, so we would, you know, okay, good idea. Let's go on. <laughs> so that remember was, that at all or not, Sandy? What's it? Zero recollection. Zero. <laughs> no. as, as you said, I'm stewing in it. I'm writing the book, not you. That's. <laughs> I just remember the. I remember the big moments. Right? Yeah. I remember as we were starting to get traction. You and and Darren Starr and and Dan and I 
would occasionally have lunch in my office and we'd map out the arcs of the season. Uh, and, and what I recall very vividly um, is, is the conversation we had, the meeting we had in my office, the four of us talking about the final, you know, five episodes of the season. Uh, and, and of course the, the issue of, you know, uh, should Brenda and, and Dylan consummate their relationship or not, you know, came up. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously that was a, you know, that was a pretty big decision. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'm not sure I, I've told you this in 30 years. I mean, I knew, uh, that if we allowed that to happen, it, it was going to be a shit show. Um, and, and so I just sort of said like, you know, it's better to apologize than to ask for permission. And I figured once you wrote the script, you know, the script would go to Don Bay and broadcast standards. Um, probably a lot of your listeners. I think they love this stuff. Don't even so, yeah. <laughs> be inside baseball. Yeah, Don, Darlene Liblick. Anyway, I, I knew that Don Bay would, would read the script, um, have a conniption, and call Jamie Kellner, who oversaw the business aspects of, of the network. Uh, ad sales, affiliate relations, broadcast standards. And so I, I remember getting the script and um, within an hour, like clockwork, my assistant said, Mr. Kellner would like to see you in his office. And, and it was like being called down to the principal's office. I mean, that's exactly what it felt like. And as it turns out, you know, Jamie was just a great guy. And, um, you know, even though he wasn't overseeing necessarily the creative part of the network, he had creative chops and he also respected the process. And, and he wanted to know why we had made the decision. And, and I told him that you and Darren felt very strongly about it. And, and it's hard to argue, you know, it's obviously a heightened reality, but our goal was to try to tell stories that felt, you know, sort of intellectually and emotionally honest to teenagers that were in high school. And even back in 1990, kids were having sex, you know, in high school. I wasn't, but people were. Um, and so, you know, Jamie was like, okay, I, I get it. Um, and, and then um, all hell broke loose, as, <laughs> as you know. Well, it's fun. From my standpoint, Stan, I think you, you might know this. I, I do remember that the marching orders were, let's find a... a probably even before the meeting you described from Dan, let's find a cliffhanger. And I just said either to Darren, to Dan, well, the best cliffhanger is I'm late. That's always the best. And why I was really interested in that moment was for what happens in the episode that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, that beach blanket Brandon, because that moment where a, uh, a teenage girl has to tell her father she's sexually active is, uh, is something that a, a girlfriend of mine at, at Beverly High described to me in, in detail once, and it was very poignant. So I wanted that scene. I knew, uh, you know, uh, Shannon and, and James could play the hell out of it. So to have the cliffhanger and have that scene, they had to do it. So that was, how did, so it, how did really the tail was wagging the dog. <laughs> It, it, how did it come to you? Like, how did you guys talk about Brenda losing her virginity? Where does that come in your world? 
it was 30 uh, years ago I, for I, me to oh go on in my office uh, as i said uh a meeting between darren star chuck and and Dan McDermott, who was running current programming, I was overseeing it. Um, we we had a conversation about uh, the last five episodes. It may have been four, it may have been six, but but we we got together during the course of the year and kind of mapped out what the season was going to look like. And and in this particular meeting, we have our was, our. Well, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sandy, but our mystery guest has joined the group. There he is. It. Mr. Darren Starr. Hi. Hello. Hi, Darren. How are you? Joining the group. Yeah. Happy to see you. Great to see you guys. Hey, Sandy. Good Darren, um, come out, go out of the room and come back in. Sometimes that fixes it so that the other person can hear you. What? Who can't hear? Can uh, hear Sandy, can't, Sandy can't hear you. So That's some Sandy could never. He never listened. <laughs> <laughs> He just dropped the mic. <laughs> well, anyway, before Darren, it might take him a second to come back in. Uh, Sandy, you were sent, you were you you were kind of recapping this conversation. But Chuck, did you and Darren, and we can get Darren in this in a second. Did you and Darren have that conversation before talking to Sandy that we need to uh, have Brenda lose her virginity, or was that something that just popped up with Sandy? Okay, Darren's back. Let's see. Darren, we were just getting to a place. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so we're so excited to have you here. I mean, listen, there's so many people watching right now that just, you know, we're so thankful for what you all created. So let's just start off on that. I mean, and before you do, I just would like to say something to Susan McCaffrey and Tammy Bender Shallow, who guessed that the mystery guest was our friend Darren here. Very cool. But uh, I mean, so many moments, so many things that uh, touched us all, and this this crew here that that helped put this together with some a bunch of other people too. So, uh, just thank you. So start on on, on, on to revisit all this. Yeah, absolutely. Peter asked a really interesting question, um, which is, did you and Chuck before we had that um, working lunch in my office with Dan McDermott? Where, where we sort of mapped out the last five or six episodes of the season as we were kind of want to do during the course of the year. Had you guys decided going to that meeting that um, Brenda was going to lose her virginity or is that something that came up in the meeting? Because I don't, I don't remember. Do you mean the first season? Yeah, sorry. We went back to the first season. Right, right. And uh, we were kind of... I don't. I think we were keeping it to ourselves, weren't we, Chuck? I think we weren't sharing. We didn't have. We weren't sharing everything. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little vague on it too. But it just what I remember is you wanted a cliffhanger, and I worked with Darlene Lieblick a lot, the the lady who did standards and practices, and she liked how we did it. She like. I mean, from our vantage point, I don't remember it worrying about the shit show or something. We knew it was going to make the episode and you had that funny thing in spring dance when the girls had the same dress on. So, you know, we had stuff and you had, uh, you know, Brandon and Andrea, there were other stuff going on in spring dance, you know? Yeah. So but, I mean, we knew it was going to be, um, you know, controversial. Right. Darren, before you hopped on, I was saying that, Within an hour of the script um, being delivered to the lot, the first draft, 
I got a call uh, from Jamie Kellner's office to go downstairs and see him, which was like being called to the principal's office. And Don Bay, who Darlene worked for, had already called Jamie and said, you know, we got a problem here. And, and Jamie, you know, wanted to hear from me, you know, why we had done it. Um, and, and I had explained that you and Chuck felt very strongly about it. And, and, and even though, you know, the show was obviously a heightened reality, we were trying to stay as true as we could to, you know, sort of an authentic high school experience. And even back in 1990, you know, kids were having sex in high school, especially if they went out for uh, an extended period of time. And so Jamie was actually okay with it. it. I think it wasn't until it aired that we really started to hear it from the affiliates. Yeah. But you know, that's when I think yeah. we had to come back to you guys. That's where that's right. We need there to I, be some yeah. consequences. Yeah, I didn't feel like there was a reaction until after the affiliates saw it. But that's how I remember it too, Dan. I mean, I kind of you guys were good on it, you know? but you know when when I first yeah, came, that's because I took the bullet. When I first came into Fox about this show, the whole idea was that it was going to be like a more modern version of teenage life. And when Chuck and I were working on it, we were always thinking about how to, you know, that, that we were trying to do something relevant and relatable, and not, you know, and, and that's what sort of set the show apart. I think that's what actually got the, the audience invested in it, but. You know, Brandon had sex in the fourth episode. Nobody. Darren, that was your first. Uh, that was your first episodic script. Yeah, that one. That, that, first was, the first, yeah. that was the first. That was the first episode of Nine or Two and I wrote after the pilot, and I mean, basically, nobody mentioned anything about that. That wasn't an issue. He had he had sex with his girlfriend who came to visit. So. Right. And he thought that was the first time for her, and it wasn't. That was. So I, guess, so I guess we didn't think about a double standard. At the time, we thought, well, Brandon had sex, and now Brenda's going to have sex. So we didn't really expect there to be that kind of reaction. And we didn't know about your station affiliates in the Midwest. That's right. So we didn't know how some of these people who would be um, selling, you know, the Ginsu knives late at night, uh, how they would react to this. It was it was problematic. And, I remember. And I, I remember the meeting. Were, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, Chuck, were not thrilled with with being told that they're needed to be some consequences uh but you know you wind up feeling well well i that's right and and the reason being just real quick get out of the way i had a young daughter at the time uh lindsay uh is actually in our business now but she um you know and i had another one little baby and the idea of that in intellectually the madonna horse split you know i didn't want her to not feel guilty about having sexual impulses. So I'm thinking about her at five years old. You know, this is my daughter's future. So that was where my passion on it came from. What I was thinking about more the joy of sex. And I always, we always also felt that because she didn't show remorse uh, at the, you know, when she comes down and all the gang is together, that that was, you know, another thing that rubbed um, the fundamentalists a lot the wrong way. But I, I was wondering about that. I really, yeah. but I that, that, that was the shit show I was referring to. Right. <laughs> but, I, but I remember the reaction to the network reaction to the show was that shot when they were all hugging each other. I remember the network, everybody feeling like, wow, that's such a wonderful, iconic image of this group of kids, this, you know, our cast. 
So in they, fact, I don't know if Sandy remembers that, but that was your favorite. You told me that was your favorite show. It defined the, the series for you. Oh, that, I have no idea what he just said. Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, the 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 shot, you remember Darren pulled back, the guys are all together and they're in a semicircle and the band is playing and it pulled yes. back. You, I remember you really responding yeah. to that shot, right. that, that you liked that right. moment. But I, I guess I guess we have to repeat for Sandy the fact that Brandon had sex in the fourth episode and and um, it seemed like it was fine. So when Brenda had sex, we didn't really anticipate it being an issue. Sandy, can you read lips, Sandy? Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move let's move it along here. At some point, you're looking because we want to get to Beach Blanket, Brandon. But you 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 are at some point looking for a resolve to uh, or a cliffhanger for. Uh, the end of the first season, right? How does where does I'm late come from? For me, I said I thought it would be a good way to end it. We did a scene, we shot it. It was the last scene. Uh, the same person who shot that episode also shot Beach Blanket Brandon Braverman did both of them, and he uh, he shot that scene, and um, and it was a good scene. We edit the show. And maybe and and, and it is Sandy was really uh, an expert in promotion. That was his thing, really. So for all week, uh, before it's going to air, it's Brenda going. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. That was the the what they did. Went right for the core of the matter. And uh, and about uh, the East Coast show was third. I don't know exactly the time, but there was a decision a decision made. And Mr. Spelling knew of, I don't think Darren did, I certainly didn't do, that that scene was going to be cut out for whatever reason, the same one that they didn't promote all week. So uh, Spelling never called me and I flipped out. I was more mad at him than you guys because, you know, I hate being blindsided. It is my pet peeve in life, still probably is. And and so, you know, you could have told me I, I, you're going to wait because I, I found out watching it. There's a scene. What about what for about you? you? Do you have any recollection of that, Darren? Or not? I don't. I just remember the outcry after the show aired, and feeling like we had to clean this up at the beginning of the next season, and and uh, figure out a way for Brenda to come to terms with feeling that she was too sexual <laughs> early, and then broke up with Dylan over it. I thought, um, thinking about writing that episode, I thought, okay, how how to try to make this play and make it emotionally believable and you know I kind of felt like one thing we did with the show was have all of our characters feel pretty honest and frank about their emotions and and so this is one where you know ha had to not punish Brenda for having I mean we didn't want to punish Brenda for having sex but we, but we wanted her we we needed to address the sort of elephant in the room that um it was we had to kind of like take a few steps backwards from their relationship from from not making their relationship sexual going forward. Is that how you remember, Chuck? Yeah, Sandy. So you know, Darren had the, the the role of having to try to figure out what to do with this, and I I, I was of no help I, at that point. I was just too pissed off at the whole thing and that this would happen, and it just and and you know, Darren had to. You know, in effect, uh, in some get certain story points in that you know, and it was and I mean, Bristol, he's taking dictation in this. But as I think I just told you, I just watched um, the episode that we're going to be talking about, and uh, 
you, as a writer, just let's talk about the writing for a second. You really did a remarkable job. The 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 language holds up. It would be like this could be a conversation that here in 2020 you could have and not be uh, at all, um, uh, you know, feeling condescended or you're watching something anachronistic. It's very natural. They played it naturally until the last moment when, when you know, which, which was not what you, you wrote, you know, you write a line, sometimes you would write a line for Shannon and it would be, oh, come on, dad, don't do that. And it would come on out as, dad, don't do that. You know, and so the last line was, you know, a little bit melodramatic, but it was a, you know, really something worthwhile for you to see again. Seriously. I didn't know I watched it before we all, you know, before I went to, you know, came to talk to everybody about this and I- Didn't I was, you think it held up? Yeah, it was really, it was fun to watch. I have to say, for me, I literally can't, I can't remember writing any of it. But <laughs> That's interesting. I, yeah. I, I really don't know, but I was like, I do, I, I felt it held up and it reminded me just how committed all those actors were. I mean, the cast was so good. They were just, they really like, I mean, they, I mean, Dylan and I mean, Luke and Shannon. Yeah, yeah. for me, you know, Brandon, for Jason and Shannon, yeah. I mean, they were young, they were beautiful and they were into it and they took yeah. direct, they clearly took direction. I yeah, mean, they, 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 you know, and- They were, they were committed. They so really let me ask Sandy, when does the idea for summer episodes uh, pop up in the network's idea? Who, who, where does that come from? And then I want to know how you guys reacted to, oh, shit, we're going to do some summer episodes, too. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I, I can't tell you the, the, the day or, or week and probably not even the month, but... What had happened was, as I said earlier, before Darren hopped on, you know, the show got off to a really slow start from a rating standpoint. And um, it took a while for the show to find its voice creatively. And it took a while for, for the audience to find the show. Part of it was we were a little network with crappy little stations all over America. Um, and part of it was, you know, it, it just it wasn't compelling in the way it quickly became compelling when the focus really turned to um, it becoming what then became known as a, a youth ensemble drama as opposed to a family show. And we didn't have nearly the data that people have today on the audience. We just had, you know, uh, demographics. And, and we would see every week female teens would just, it just kept going up. Um, and, and it got to the point where it became clear to us that, um, you know, we had heartthrobs on our hands and, and that's when we started to go to malls, uh, and we started to cut promos that felt a little bit like MTV because we were both kind of happening at the same time, MTV and Fox. Uh, and, and so, you know, the footage was quick cuts and grainy and, big graphics and it just really changed the the flavor of the show and the show really started to get traction and we had a meeting and and I don't you know remember specifics but uh, one of the things we started to talk about was what if we kept going rather than ending at the end of May Suites and doing what historically you know networks did which was as I said earlier you know hang a gun fishing sign outside and, and come back in September, what if we stayed on the air? 
Uh, and um, I, I had the misfortune of having that conversation with Chuck, who was really tired and really ornery. Uh, and um, but after he blew off his steam, which is sort of part of my job and part of Dan's job, and and Jonathan Lickman too, we haven't mentioned him. He came uh, in. The, he came in in year two. Okay, so during uh, these summer episodes, in fact. Yeah. So um, Chuck got on board, and then the question became, you know, what should it look like? And um, you know, a couple of things were colliding for me during the course of that discussion. One was that, um, you know, I was a member <coughs> in the 70s of the Sand and Sea Club down in Santa Monica. So, you know, that was kind of my life. And plus, a couple of years earlier, I was the vice president of creative advertising in the feature film division and worked on a, a movie called The Flamingo Kid with an actor named Matt Dillon where he played a um, cabana boy. And, and I think I pitched that idea. Um, and you never know, you know, I mean, I had no expectation that Darren and Chuck were gonna go away and, and come back and say, you know, yes, we, you know, we think it's- Well, I remember you saying it, just to jump in just for a second, Darren, here. I, I remember you telling us that in spelling, about specifically Flamingo Kid, we were in the manor, Mr. Spelling's <laughs> name for his new uh, mansion, the most expensive house built in L.A. at the time. And you were there, too, right, Darren? You, we were there yeah, together. Yeah. And yeah. I had just, before the network got there, before Darren, even you got there, I got there first. Uh, Mr. Spelling was there and Duke Vincent getting a little tour of the house. It looks beautiful. We go into a little side room for this. I sit in a chair. It's one of Sandy's antiques. The whole thing breaks. And so the 10 minutes before the network is getting there, I remember Aaron and Duke plotting, what are they going to tell Sandy happened to the chair? That, by the way, that chair probably cost $300,000. That could have been going to finance the, uh, the whole I do, I, I, I do remember you breaking the chair, and I actually thought you were going to be fired. No, I remember. I was, yeah, I was in the room. Me too. I was in the room. Uh, but, but I remember responding really well. I love the Flamingo Kid. Uh, Darren would know that when we broke characters, one of the reasons Dylan was named Dylan was not Bob Dylan, it was Matt Dylan, because, you know, the younger guy and the, you know, the, the motorcycle part of that person. I didn't know that. Wow, that's fine. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. So, um, and the Sand and Sea Club that Sandy references had just gone out of business. And uh, they, they were some problems with the pipes and this, they were going to build a luxury hotel right at that spot. And the city of Santa Monica had to vote on it. And the city of Santa Monica said, you're not getting a hotel. So it just stayed there empty. And then you spring this on us. And what Sandy is saying with the, with the beach club there, right next to it was a beach that used to be called Tees Beach. And that's where kids of Beverly Hills High School and the middle schools would go every day after summer school. Every Local high school there and had a beach. Hamilton had a beach, Fairfax, Uni. Beverly was ours because, of course, ours had to be next to the Jewish Beach Club. Where else would we be? Darren, how did you react when you heard there was going to be summer episodes? Well, I remember that meeting being in Sandy's office, and it was sort of like you a You saw good the chair get broken? 
No, this is before <laughs> when they told us at Fox that we were going to have the summer episodes. And I was there with Chuck, and I remember them. It was sort of like we have good news, bad news. The good news is the show was doing was performing better in reruns than it was in the originals. I remember that that the that the reruns were the, were actually doing better in rating, and the show was on this big trajectory. And they they said you know they they felt that they they didn't want to stop the momentum, and they had this idea to bring the, the show back in the summer, and that was sort of the quote bad news. That we wouldn't actually, that we wouldn't have a hiatus. And I know Chuck was dead. I think we were all kind of like ready for, ready for a break, and it was kind of a, a bit of a, a shock that there would not be a break. That we were just going to go, just kind of like roll right into the next season tomorrow. Sandy, he said it was a, it was a bit of a shock. Basically, I summed it up for, for, for Sandy. To do, to do summer episodes. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, nobody, nobody had done it before, as I said. You know, Chuck, you worked on Northern Exposure. That was a summer replacement show, but but nobody had really taken a very successful primetime drama that for us cost a lot of money and said, let's keep making original episodes throughout the summer. Um, and, and that was a biggie, as I said. You know, Rupert thought we were out of our minds. He said, um, advertisers don't want to spend money in the summer. But ask Sandy, uh, ask Sandy if you can recall that the reruns were beating the originals in terms of the ratings. Did he says Darren said the reruns were beating the originals in the ratings. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's when it was. I mean, we were coming down the home stretch, and the thing just kept getting bigger. Oh, yeah. And and so, you know, in retrospect, it, it seems like a you know, earth shattering idea. It was, it was fairly self-evident at the time that it would have been an act of insanity to stop. But the, the key was to go back to, you know, Chuck and, and, and Darren, and I never worried about Darren. It was always Chuck whose head. Would explode. <laughs> um, and, and so I, mean, I knew Chuck was really tired uh, and, and, and I was ornery at the time, and all of this, and especially once the Brenda thing happened. But I was thinking of a story today, Sandy, that I got to tell you. I don't think you know this story either, Darren. So Monday night, like all during this period of time, I think I, I don't even know if it was before we rendezvoused in Hawaii uh, in, in Maui together. But I'm with my our close friends and Karen and into the restaurant. Restaurant's called Morton's. In West Hollywood, and every Monday night, it was like a club restaurant for Hollywood executives, mostly in the feature business, quite frankly. And that's where my friends wanted to go. I didn't even know about the Monday night. I'm eating there in walks Barry Gillen, that the head of the the whole thing is right there, and I've never spoken to Barry Gillen. And Karen is going, oh, say hello, introduce yourself, and I'm shocked. I can't do that. I and I'm not gonna do this, you know. And um, the guy, the, he, the, his person goes to the bathroom and Karen, you have your chance. And I walk up to him and I go, Mr. Diller, I just want to introduce you to myself. I'm Charles Rosen. And he was very gracious. He had this look like, oh, you're a real person. Really? And he stood up and he, he shook my hand and he looked at me and, and I don't, we only talked for a minute, very short conversation. But what I took away from it, and it was the moment I went, 
Yes. And, and, you know, 1991 was a really great year for Darren and I to work together on this particular television show. And this was the halfway mark. And he looked at me and he said, you have a chance. Yep. That was after everything that had happened. The running the radio, we're doing summer episodes, this, that we had a chance. And the truth is, D, we didn't blow it. Yeah. So talk to me about, let's get into this episode. Talk to me about um, now you got, you get the order from, uh, first of all, Darren, did you like the idea of the beach club? Did you and Chuck talk about the beach yeah, club? Yeah. I, I remember talking about it. We, I love the Flamingo Kid. I thought it was a great idea. I mean, it was the summer to be at the beach to change it up, that it wasn't going to be in school, that we were going to embrace the idea that it was summer and play summer as summer. Uh, but what I remember is Chuck had a vacation planned in Hawaii to the Four Seasons in Maui. And the only way to keep the ball rolling is for me to join Chuck and his family on vacation. So I joined them at the Four Seasons in Maui, which was kind of amazing. I'd never been there. And, uh, no, nor had we. And uh, and our friends, one of Karen's closest girlfriends from New York, uh, was in a new relationship, and uh, and her partner was the general manager of the place. So we got it was empty hotel. You remember? We got the Elton John suite. This is I where Elton it. John went for rehab. I was really impressed by your room. Yeah, it was nothing really here. Nothing like your. I didn't get that suite. And I remember um, spending a lot of, you had been there before me and you discovered this cocktail you loved, iced berries, which I think was vodka and champagne and berries. And berries, yeah. We drank a lot of that and sat by the pool. We did, and we broke it down. And I, I remember also us looking at the... Um, Footage because you still were doing your last cut of the, on on the on screen dance, and I just and I, what my memory of it was jogging down is that we it just became really clear. Oh, just keep letting Brian dance. Just let him dance. Look how good he can dance. And we just right. and then we didn't have to do the dialogue. You know, you you're trying to fill up the time. I want the fans to notice something. Do you, you ever wonder why our title sequence is so long? It's because if you had a long title sequence, you didn't have to shoot as much. You didn't have to spend as much shooting, right? So long title sequence, long end title sequence, you know, that was the that was the spell. So how do you guys start building the beach club? I guess is where we can start. Do, do you guys see it the the, the same you, you go about with well, we're, we have different roles at that point. Um Darren is you you were you on that scout with Jim Weatherall and Paul and I think I remember you guys. I think I saw it after you found it. And I was I was kind of blown away by the fact that we were gonna shoot there. I remember thinking like wow, we we're gonna shoot we're really gonna shoot at the beach in Santa Monica, just right in town, especially after filming most of the series at a warehouse in Van Nuys. It was a great- Van Nuys, Altadena, Corinth, we're all yeah. over the map. Yeah, right. It was like, we're finally gonna be somewhere nice. We were we were never in Beverly Hills. Well, the city of Santa Monica is was infamous. There, there are certain towns that are very difficult to do production in. Uh, Malibu and Santa Monica and the South Bay really are the head of the list. So this woman in Santa Monica didn't want us to do anything. And I remember, and, and I saw Jim Weatherall, Darren, that when we were at, at the studio together for, for the memorial service, and Jim Weatherall was there yet. He was the UPM. He's about 15 years older than me. And he, like, you're alive. Hello. And, and I remember saying to Jim, 
you know, see this woman here telling you what we can and can't do? I never want to hear her voice again. Good luck. And I left and went back to the writer's room where I belong. Because that really is the temperament of a writer, not as a producer. I had to learn how to do management. It took a while. So one of the other things that comes up in this episode, and now we're getting into the nitty gritty of the episode here. Um, in the pre, in the cliffhanger, Andrea and uh, Brandon almost have this moment. So how how are you guys thinking about resolving this to get it back to a friendship? Well, I I think we knew we had we knew that we didn't want that relationship to evolve into a relationship. It, you know, it was not where we wanted to see. Brandon going. It's not the role we wanted Andre to play on the show. And so we just had to kind of nip it in the bud as quickly as possible. Wouldn't you say, Chuck? Yeah, unrequited love is more uh, more enticing than requited anyway. And we wanted our Brandon to be, you know, the lover, the lover boy, the guy, you know, right. and you didn't want him encumbered in a relationship. Definitely. And then there's some new characters that get created, right? Because of the 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 beach club. We have Henry Thomas, right? And how do we how do we create Henry Thomas? And I'm really wanna know um, this young and the restless thing and where does that come from that you can't interrupt Henry Thomas's uh, Young and the Restless? I was watching that and had no, I don't know. That one, Barry, that one was me because I had met somebody um, back when I was a reporter who uh, for the for the Women's Wear Daily and I walked in to try to talk to this guy. He said, I'm watching the Young and Restless. <laughs> so I remembered that. But um, but with Henry, the, the actor who plays the, the manager, Henry Thomas, James Pickens, one thing that he was in on um, that you wouldn't know, and I, I'm not sure you know this, Darren, because this was more of the administrative stuff we had to deal with. SAG had had made a um, complaint on us for being racist, and we did not have I enough. Do, I, I do remember that. We, and that you think I was mad about uh, a, a, a beach club thing? Do you want to call call Mr. Rosen a racist? Uh, you know, ah, uh, no, 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 just the opposite. So, um, oh. So in the middle of my story, of course, you want to come in here. Understandably, it was a very white show. So I thought it was a good, uh, hey. <laughs> Karen. It was, Another special. It was a good thing. again. He was really good. Yes, he sure oh, he's, was. He's so, so great. And I love that. I love that aspect. He went on to do Grey's Anatomy and, did, and has done so well in his, uh, his career. You know, Emmy winning uh, actor. Yeah. And then we have this thing later on, and because I, I was kind of building to the whole breakup and all that, but we, I want to get through some of the other stuff first. You have this. Uh, say hello to Karen. You hello, you Karen. Nice to meet you, Karen. It's uh, exciting to have you here as well. So now we got another mystery. Karen Rosen. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I want to ask about uh, Chris Suter and, uh, you know, we, we bring this teacher in that, you know, all the girls have a crush on. And uh, this is kind of like the first time that Andre has a crush on one of the teachers. Where does that sort of come from? I I was watching the show with really like watching it like someone that had never not only someone had somebody had never seen the show before. I was like, wow, it was all, it was all a surprise to me, including him. And <laughs> 
<laughs> we have no so, recollection of Chris Suter. Yeah, I, I, when I saw it, it all came back. But I, but um, yeah. I don't remember. I just thought, wow, that 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 was considered the heartthrob in the day. Oh, he yeah. had just come off the series Elvis. Oh, he, he, I thought he was Elvis. Yeah, exactly. So he yeah. had a he had a high profile, yeah. and I was and, right. I, and I liked the show. I'd seen a couple episodes, mm-hmm. and it got canceled. So I'm real excited because. Beverly Hills kids went to summer school in those years, you know, and so we said, okay, in the nineties, we're going to have them do it too. And this was the teacher and boy, oh boy, if he, we knew about the second episode that we were not going to develop this character anymore. (laughs) Now I remember. Yeah. Now I remember. Now I I can, now I remember because of the Elvis thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. He was, yeah, he was, he was like a lock. So I was looking at him. This is the this is the heartthrob. I forgot. Um, so, but that's the that's the beginning of an Andrea thing, right? I mean, we definitely go down that road at some point where Andrea's kind of crushes on her teachers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chuck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, the one thing you have to understand, we were doing a, by this point, we're already doing these summer episodes on top of now twenty two. A season, a full season we earned. So you got 28 episodes, you gotta look for material. Like, well, what stories can we do? It's a lot of storylines. So what can we do with yet? What can we do with the character and having crushes on older teachers where made sense? Um, and the thing with Brandon having to leave Nat, right, to go work at the beach club, another great storyline that you guys put in there, because I feel like Nat became uh, you know, Brandon's almost like a second dad, right? He was, um, Joey was really good in that episode. Never mm-hmm. went, it's great. And, and uh, I love, I love seeing Brandon kind of like be selfish and realize that he, that he um, screwed up, you know, and tried and tried to do, tried to do the right thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah I like to take the job and, Basically, then tell the guy, "Sorry, I'm still going to go and give a week's notice." So he, he got it both ways. Totally. But then he finds himself, and that's the moral center of the show. Brandon not rocking out on on Sandy can't hear what Darren's saying. So I know. Gotta, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck will do like a, a interpretation. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but um, you know. It, that this Brandon was really, you know, he was it with the sweetness came out in this episode and the moral center of it, you know, the Brandon is the Boy Scout. Here he was, but don't we wish more men were like that? But watching the episode again, I thought if there was one thing I wish we could have found was who Joey hired. I wish we'd come up with someone unexpected. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, remember in the next isn't it going to be Steve, or do we do that in the Following summer, no, we did okay. that the following summer. Yeah, I just, wish I just wish we'd set somebody up so that it was so that it was like a surprise. It was a little. It was just you know. Yeah, you know, it was an opportunity, a missed opportunity. I was like, oh, that that could be better. All right, so let's deal with this. The the you know the whole uh, breakup, the the I'm late stuff. Um, I guess let's talk about the the setup of you know uh, Cindy finding the the box and all that kind of stuff. I love that. You know, uh, where is, tell me about like where that's coming from, Darren. How are you, you know, 
you got to do this, you know, you got to write yeah. this episode down, clean everything up, sort of, like you said. So where does that sort of start in that process for you? Trying to do it in a way that feels honest from Brenda's point of view. And uh, I think it's just, it's such a cringy thing to have to talk to your parents about sex and that she was, unex she never meant to, but she had to, and she was forced to. And I think that, that the more that it just, I think the more those sort of uncomfortable moments piled on for her, it just made her feel like, I don't want to have, the fact that her parents knew that they were already, that, that she was having sex with Dylan, I think in a way it took a lot of the air out of it for her because it's not, it wasn't something was suddenly like, uh, it wasn't sexy anymore. Now that her parents knew and it just felt, I, I feel like it put the relationship in a different place and, but it was trying to, it was trying to tell a story that was, that we had to kind of like really, uh, I don't know, make it feel, make it feel emotionally honest for a character who that didn't seem to be the way things were headed. Yeah, you know? definitely. Chuck, very what's your challenging. We've always said that Darren doing that very difficult. And I also, you know what I really liked in, in terms of all the character development and everything, also just the technical way that uh, Brenda got outed because we had had, okay, I'm going to start doing the recycling and therefore she's in trash where Brenda would never have figured. So that was a, it yeah. wasn't a cringy way. Like it, it felt very natural that it could have happened. And I like that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, then she answers the door for Dylan and she has the box in her hand. And <laughs> I think that's the final you know, that Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. Do you remember writing that at all and thinking, oh, that's funny? Or does, you know, how does that coming to you? Come in? I was, I think I remember thinking that something to kind of like cut the melodrama a little bit, you know, yeah. and that that's how Dylan would find, Dylan would basically know <laughs> that everything was out on the table. And it would be just completely awkward. Yeah. I swear to God, we won't, he said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to ask you guys about James Eckhouse and, uh, oh, well, J Jim and Cindy. I think the, the conversation that they have in that in the, in the room when they're talking to Brenda about sex and all that stuff. Now, are you, and I'm curious from Sandy's perspective, when you see the episode, are you writing this? For knowing that this is the conversation that families are are not somebody on one of these forums wrote uh, to me that they had conversations with their parents through the conversations you created in in nine hundred two one zero the the you know the the conversation that Jim and Cindy's having with Brenda in the in the living room sort of triggers their conversations. Are you writing for that, or are you just writing for the characters? Chuck or Darren? Oh, I thought you were Sandy. I think we're writing for the characters. I mean, I feel, and I think, Chuck, you can add to this. I, I feel like we were never really trying to send a message. Message. We were trying to make no, yeah. act, act, behave honestly. And I think that's why the audience related to the show the way they did, because they could see themselves in these characters. They felt there was something truthful about the way the characters were behaving. So I think we weren't trying to say, this is the message. Yeah, and, and that's what I was really, I was worried that that would be the case. And so all the really social dramas that we, ones that we did, the question was just trying to make it natural and 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 not even, 
you know, reveal what the episode is really going to be about, where the drama is, try to make it light in the beginning so our younger fans would go along with us and, oh, my God, it's a message show, you know, but it isn't a message show. Yeah. Uh, Samuel Goldwyn had that great quote about messages. If you want a message, go call, uh, go send a, a Western Union. It's so hard to make these things work. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a miracle when one of these things works that um, I don't think, certainly as executives, we weren't sitting there um, trying to facilitate, uh, you know, conversations in, in the real world. As, as I think Chuck said, you know, the show is sort of a combination of, um, certainly in the beginning, uh, social issues, and, and then it evolved into really a youth ensemble drama. Uh, yeah. And and the goal was to try to stay, I think, as honest as as one could possibly stay in the in the confines of dramatic television. And the fact that that this show was having the cultural impact that it was having is, even as I look back today, a miracle, right? Um, uh, I was really moved when I saw all um, the posts on social media when Luke, you know, tragically passed. And it was just a reminder of, of how in the culture um, Chuck and Darren were, was able to take this show and, and take these characters. I mean, they were truly beloved. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, so again, from, from our standpoint, we, we weren't trying to... Uh, send any specific message um uh it was it was just going out there and having an impact like nothing any of us i think had ever worked on up until you that. saw it darren saw it firsthand did you were I, I got the trophy somewhere you you went to london with the cast to yeah. get our first award right you know, i went to london with the cast because the show was a hit in the uk and it wasn't and it wasn't a hit yet in the States. And I went to London with the cast because I heard that we had fans there. So I was curious to see fans of the show because I hadn't really like met any yet at home. It hadn't really so just, up here. Just to go back for one second, we have two of our viewers that gave us a little reminder, Lori and Jessica. Wasn't it Lucy Liu that replaced Brandon at the Peach Pit? Maybe, yes. I th there, she was in 90210. Really? Lucy was? Lucy Liu, yes. Really? <laughs> we yes, she was. We did that. Yes. Yeah, of course we did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Wow. Uh, what else you got, uh, Lily? Um, well, I have sort of a fun fact um, followed up with a question for Darren. So just kind of just going back really quickly to the spring dance episode when Andrea is sitting on her couch eating ice cream and we see her watching her television and the opening credits come in for um, Prom Nightmare. And in your commentary for the DVDs, you mentioned that you played homage to your grandfather, Louis Taft, um, because he had his name in the opening credits. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Wow, that's a real deep piece of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> she just she won. She did it. Shout out to my grandfather. 
Did yeah. I win the internet today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, wow. Um, yeah, I guess in the credits for the fictional movie she was watching, Prom Nightmare, said it was produced by Lewis Pack, who was my, who was my grandfather. So it was like, very cool. For him. And Lori yeah. McKenzie says, hey, we know everything. Ha, ha, ha. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, two, that's two uh, quotes for you, Lori. Yeah. Well, here's something, Lori, you can learn. Chris Studer was the name of the most popular art teacher at Beverly Hills High School. I was going to ask you that. You know Sammy, right? Was he there with you, Suter? What's that? Was Lyle Suter there? Yeah. I knew his kids. Yeah. So that's where you got Chris Suter's name. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Um, all right, cool. So let's talk about the a couple of few, the few conversations that, you know, Brenda and Dylan have uh, for the for the breakup. There's the first conversation that they have outside the house, which is like, I, I live in Altadena, so it's three minutes from me. <laughs> um, and so talk to me about writing some of that. I mean, talk to me, I guess, arc me through like walking through the breakup. And did you guys want them to break up? I mean, I don't think it was something that was planned until we had to sort of take this real hairpin turn. But I think it, you know, it created drama and it worked for us when you say. Definitely, yeah. It's hard to hear you again, Chuck. You you went you went. We didn't we didn't really even have time to think about it in because we were doing so many. It was moving so quickly. Uh, is what I is you know kind of how I yeah. I remember it that it wasn't you know I used to tell people all the time when they would ask questions along those lines and I just say well you know we're making it up as we go along right and and uh, you know oftentimes. At this point, we we were you know just getting it done. You know, we we were, you know, that first summer was uh, a big surprise for us, but it was so gratifying. I mean, we we owned it, and I'd love you to start talking about it, uh, Peter, because um, Darren, you know, if you last week uh, we were all uh, we together with uh, Larry Mullen, and we were talking about music, and yeah. I said, well, I did all the oldies, but Darren did all really all the contemporary songs. He knew all of that, so. Tell us about um, uh, losing my religion. I mean, yeah, you know, how, it, it, how, I, I love that song. I remember being on the mix stage and seeing it play over the Porsche and everything, and I was thought, "Wow, that it just works so great." And then, sadly, watching it just now, seeing the song be replaced, we didn't think about the fact that, you know, we were not, we weren't buying rights in perpetuity for all this great music we had on nine hundred two and zero. So all of it had to be replaced subsequently for syndication. And, and uh, you know, um, I don't think anybody had the, the idea that people would be watching and talking about the show all these years later. So they weren't going to they weren't spending the money on these great iconic songs that we were to get in. And I guess they were a lot cheaper just to have it in for like the first or couple runs. So I do know that the, that first season, I think that they only did it for like two plays. That's how little faith they had that we were going to be around. So then Kenny Kenny Miller had to go back and buy it at least for what what was the the five years, which was the standard then. Right. Yeah. Who knew? Right. Uh, I'm in the middle of a whole brouhaha about that, and that's it for another time. I find the show unwatchable about our music. The audience. Well, in some ways, the audience gets gets cheated not to hear the great music because I feel like. You know, the 90, 90, 90, the same way you watch John Hughes movies, 
to hear those soundtracks. I mean, Letter Two and O had that kind of a soundtrack when it aired, and I think it really, it just made it so much more fun to watch. But, but yet, it still holds up. Totally. So, where, how did you pick uh, losing your religion? I mean, I, I it was REM. People, I knew, I knew it. I knew the song. It was just sort of like um, a great, a great, great song, and and just a great moment for that. Song. And it showed, and it showed how far we had come. Because, as Sandy can tell you, you may want a song. That, you know, it's a great song, but if they don't license it to you, you don't get it. And we had a lot of, you know, we weren't even trying to get hit songs or contemporary songs. You did a little bit. You brought in Hippie Chick and a couple of songs that were there, but a lot of them were just, you know, here's one that hasn't been released yet. Do you like it? You know, it, we had a lot of that in that first year. So to get this song and then the next week after get Elvis Costello, I knew we were on the map because we were getting real music. You know? right. the, the, the show really was the, you know, precursor to first the WB and then the CW, like building an entire network on the back of, of this formula. You know, these youth ensemble dramas with, you know, the music. Um, but for 90210, which of course begat Melrose Place, I don't even know that the WB or CW exists as, as a network today. Mm. Um, and then Darren, talk to me a little bit, or both of you guys talk to me a little bit about the breakup scene itself, um, and writing some of that di dialogue. Darren, when, or for both of you guys, do you start to eventually like hear Luke's voice when you write for Dylan and you start hearing, uh, Shannon's voice when you're writing for, for Brenda? Is, is, are you, is that sort of what the process is like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think we know the characters that are in our heads and I think Brenda was very headstrong and. She made this decision. She wasn't going back on it. And I think Dylan, Dylan is, is like, he's a, he's a sensitive guy. And I mean, watching that scene again, I was reminded just, you know, how much your heart breaks for that character and how much Luke brings to it, you know? And it's just like, here's this, this guy that, um, you know, he did nothing wrong. <laughs> and he, gets, he was getting dumped, but you realize how much he loved Brenda in that scene and how much is how hard and how much she kind of breaks his heart do you remember where i think it's one one of the most iconic moments in the show do you remember where you were when you wrote that dialogue for the two of them no <laughs> you were both tommy tangs you were both tommy tangs no at that point yeah a little bit maybe i had it off oh of tommy tangs that's true i don't know if i still no, have it then. i think i was more we were all together in uh in the variety building, you know, at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Is, is, is Dylan, and I guess this is the tough question, but is Dylan the, did you love writing for him the most? Or I, I guess that's a tough question to ask, but I feel like he's, he's always got the great line, the great sort of way to wrap it all up. Uh, is it fun writing for Dylan? Yeah. I mean, he was a, I mean, he was a great character and not, I mean, in that he was, the most, I mean, the most unusual character in terms of just, he had, he was wise. He was, he, he was cool. I mean, you know, you kind of, you kind of project all of who, you, the things you would like to say into that character, I think, into his voice. 
Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it works all the way through. Um, and then we get the last shot, you know, the last scene of this, this beach blanket episode where they're in school and we have that awesome sort of Dylan walking away shot, uh, you know, with Brenda close up on the camera tight. Uh, who comes up with that shot? And, uh, you know, how, did, how, does the, how does that play? I mean, that was the, that I think was Chuck Braverman. That was a director. And I actually, watching that again, I thought, you know, there's not many opportunities on a show like Anor 2 and O because you got to keep moving and moving and moving to kind of like create camera work that enhances the story. And I thought, wow, that really like that, that enhanced the story. That made it, that made that last moment so much more powerful, his camera work. And we didn't have that many opportunities. I mean, don't you think, Chuck, the directors weren't given many opportunities to kind of like make, statements with the camera on on the show it's true but you know we did we were really lucky we had we had, at this period of time we had two directors chuck braverman and dan Addis, yeah, really good yeah into what we were doing and and really got some really good really yeah. terrific performances out of our cast All right, we have- right. you know you write as i was saying before you write a line and the actor is going to say it and we would have meetings i'm sure yeah, and this is this is the way it's done in, in the shows you're doing today, right? You have a tone meeting with your director, and you basically tell yep. the director, this is how I want them to be done. This is what's going on in the scene, because you got to explain them. Sure. They don't know the series as well as we, the writer-producers. Yeah, but those guys, yeah, they were good. They, I remember now, like, those were two of the two best directors we had. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So Sandy, do was the network like happy with us now during the sit the the, the, the summer yeah. episodes? Did it deliver what we wanted? I mean, seriously, uh, you know, in that, not the. Oh, look, it was, you know, it was happy days, right? <laughs> um, and and heady days. Uh, the show exploded. I mean, it really took off in the summer. Um, and one of the things I didn't say earlier was it wasn't just that we didn't want to stop the momentum. It was that we recognized that we could actually grow the show when everybody else was in repeats. So the show was up against Cheers, right? Um, right. Cheers in, in repeats um, was much less compelling. And, and that's the other reason we wanted to do it. But, you know, that last episode and then the first episode of season two, I mean, that really, those two episodes laid the foundation for nine years of television. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we have some comments. I'm going, to let, I'm going to read them. Darren Martin, a friend of the show, I'm sure we all know who that is. He says, 30 years and counting and still the best. So, What's that? Sorry. 30 years and counting and oh. still the best. Yes. Um, you met, Darren, you met Darren on the street. You remember? In New York City, you saw somebody wearing the... Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. He's the 90210 bro, I think. Oh, right? I we all love him. Um, okay. Uh, Miranda says that song makes me picture Dylan sitting in his porch. Porsche, the uh, REM song. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then um, Stephanie says, watching the DVD, not the same with the replacement song to Luke. <laughs> and- <laughs> I understand. I, I feel you. Yeah. Uh, any good fan questions, Lily? I do, I do. Um, so being that the Brenda and Dylan breakup was somewhat forced because of the backlash received because Brenda had sex without remorse, um, what were the original plans for the couple for that summer? 
And how did Shannon and Luke feel about Dylan and Brenda breaking up? I, well, we didn't have plans. We didn't know. We didn't have yeah. episodes and we didn't have plans. But I don't, Chuck, I don't know if, if you recall, I don't know. I can't remember how the actors felt about it. No, the the uh, I think they just knew it was happening. It had to happen, uh, and we were gonna. And I think we probably told them we're gonna get you back together at some point. And and it was really. I mean, I look at year two in, in some ways this way. We did get them back together, and for most of the year, they were having sex. You just did. The audience just didn't see it, so the audience knew that those two characters were having sex. And I think that's how you go back and you start looking at the episodes before the condom episodes. It's kind of it, it's implied. Never, no line of dialogue puts it together, but you start to see that they're really intimate with each other. By the way, Chuck, you're not being completely honest. Shannon made you pay for years. <laughs> <laughs> it was the next. When she breaks up with with, with Kelly, yeah, that was uh, that's a whole other. Uh, let me just let me just tell you something. As a network executive, having Chuck Rosen call you at seven o'clock at night when you're just desperate to go home and and start a conversation with, I'm gonna kill her. <laughs> that was my life. <laughs> the old days. Yeah. Oh, I do recall when she called us at like seven in the morning one morning and uh, and complained because Chuck had made them go reshoot a scene because she had gone in wardrobe and makeup, got her makeup done, and then went and did her own makeup and changed her own wardrobe and came out much sluttier <laughs> into a little. Thing. And she just had had some cosmetic surgery. We we can't Chuck. We lost you again, buddy. We lost you again. Sorry, we missed that. Uh, we were we we. Uh, she also wanted to show off some uh, uh, her cosmetic surgery that she had while I was out of town. So, uh, <laughs> we made her reshoot. Yeah. But she was not happy about that. But, you know, I always, but I, you know, it was then. And there's a lot of things about it. And, uh, you know, really what all that really should matter, and, and certainly in the high school years, is that every time we wrote something and we needed her to get it to the place that we needed to get it for the show and for the character and everything, she was flawless at that more than any of I think anyone else in our cast. We had uh, Christina Lee on here last week, who played obviously you guys know played Emily, and she said she loves watching Shannon on uh, on the show. That she's just you know she just comes at it, and you don't even know that she's doing much, but she's doing everything in in her scenes. I think she's a super really talented. Obviously, she gave Brenda life, and she she gave all the other characters life through through her character. So she's. An amazing, uh, amazing talent for sure, uh, and we're all rooting for her, right? In her battle. Yeah, that's for sure. She yeah. was excellent. Yeah. Did you guys know that? I mean, the the diehard uh, Brenda and Dylan fans of the there's there's like the fans that like uh, Kelly and Dylan, and then there's the the Brenda Dylan. But the Brenda and Dylan seem to be the most vocal. <laughs> You know, they love these two people together. Did you know it was going to? It almost felt like the audience felt like they got broken up with too at this time. Uh, do you well, did you, you know want. that it was going to be like that? That it was going to be that kind of level? I think we could see it on the screen. I think Karen, you wrote that episode where they were really together for the first time, right? Um, I wrote the French. No, I wrote the it, French. No, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, 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 and I, they. 
I can't. It's hear hard you. to hear you guys. Yeah, you guys. So for some reason, uh, we we lose you guys every once in a while. Yeah. They just had, the you know, they just had amazing, amazing chemistry. They did have great chemistry, especially that episode that was wonderful. Yeah, they definitely did. So awesome. many people are are totally committed to the Brendan Villa matchup, <laughs> and then they want the Kelly Brandon, you know. So yeah, made them all happy. Listen, guys, we can probably talk about this for two hours. We're gonna we're gonna wrap at this point. Lily, do you have any additional fan things that you want to bring up? Um. We're good. I think we're good. We got them. Okay. So listen, um, just some things about the podcast here. Next week, Chuck and Larry and I and Lily will be back talking about Valerie Malone. How did that character come to be? So that that should be a fun a fun episode. Darren Martin says, no, don't go. Well, we're at the end. <laughs> <laughs> We are at the end. I'm sorry. We're definitely going to be back next week, though. Uh, another one. No, keep it going. Okay. On a personal level, about the show is that it comes back every week, and it and 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 we also have another episode coming Friday with Larry Mullen. We're doing an episode in season six. Home is where the tarp is. The season six opener. So this this Friday we'll be doing we'll be doing that. Lily, you got something? We have one more announcement to make. Okay, go ahead. What's the announcement? The contest. We're going to do a little contest uh, to get some likes and shares to the page and all this kind of stuff. So uh, there'll be an announcement on social media about that as well. So, so Friday is Larry Mullen uh, doing and an Jessica Klein. And Jessica Klein, yep, doing an episode sure. from wow. season, the top Probably of season six. Now. It's a reunion yeah. here. And then uh, next week back with uh, Valerie Malone. Uh, listen, guys, I want to say I'm all about gratitude these days. And I kind of said it before, but I want to say it again. Thank you all for the work that you put into this program. Um, it goes beyond just dialogue. And I mean, maybe it is that for you at this point, all these years later, but the moments and the memories you created uh, for everybody who watched it, uh, maybe a thought in their mind, the way you shifted the conversation is uh, was very powerful. And I think you always brought people into uh, their world, but also helped affect their own world, including mine and I'm sure Lily's and all the other fans that are watching. So I agree with Darren Martin that 30 years later, it's still the best show on television. Um, but anyway, guys, so I think we rock this and uh, we'll catch you next time. I'd yeah. love all of you back. I'd also like to personally thank good to Darren, see you, Danny, Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Next Bye. Time. All right. Bye.